Good morning. We'll take God's word this morning and find Daniel chapter 3, if you would. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 3. We're in a series on the book of Daniel, and yes, I'll probably break down around toward Christmas and give everybody a nice Christmas message. But uh, we're talking about the flame this morning, right? There, there is a flame in Christmas, but in this one, it's about the fiery furnace that a lot of people have heard about. Is it possible that you could ever imagine being made to bow down to an image or to a man? You ever thought about that? You know, back in the 1930s, in the heyday of Joe Stalin, there was a, an event that happened in the Soviet Union, and Stalin's name was mentioned in a provincial meeting. The mere mention of Stalin's name triggered a standing ovation and a standing dilemma because no one dared sit down because if they did and they were the first to sit down, they would show disrespect to Stalin and would soon be arrested. Finally, it's reported an elderly man who was unable to stand any longer had to take his seat because of the weakness of his legs. Stalin's regime noted the man's name and arrested him the next day because he failed to worship the idol long enough. There was another man named Paul Schneider. He, took, he stood lined up with other prisoners at, I think it's pronounced Buchenwald, concentration camp in 1938, April the 20th. Adolf Hitler's 49th birthday was being celebrated. In tribute to that, the prisoners were ordered to remove their berets and venerate the Nazi swastika flag. At once, all whipped off their headgear, but guards observed one man who refused to take off his headgear and would not bow. Paul Schneider. They beat this man with 25 lashes with an oxhide whip, and that was only the first oxhide treatment because he refused to worship the idol. One man noted rulers, especially autocrats, seem prone to dabble in religion and mix it with their politics, and Nebuchadnezzar is no exception. For those of us who know the Word of God, we know that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says that one day the man of sin or the son of perdition will set up an image of himself in the temple, in the land of Israel, in the city of Jerusalem, and the Western Confederacy and all of those who are in alliance with this Antichrist figure will be commanded to bow and to worship this man. Now, we can sit back in America and say, well, you know, we are Americans, by golly, and nobody tells us what to do. We will rebel. Well, let me scale it down to maybe not as severe of a punishment. Let, let me just throw out, uh, maybe it's a conviction issue. What if this morning, as I read this past week, the COVID vaccine was mandated upon every person in the United States. Now, it's a new vaccine. We don't know a lot about it. People are all over the place on vaccines. But what if the government comes in and says, you will take the vaccine, and if you don't, you will not be allowed on an airline, either domestic or international. Cut your flight completely out. What would you do? 
Okay, number two. What if your employer said, unless you take this vaccine, you may not come back to work and your job will be terminated unless the vaccine is taken? No exceptions. What would you do? Now, by the way, these are not thou shalt not bow down to any other God beside me type issues, but I'm simply saying look at the pressure that could be put on you to do something that you either may or may not like. Now, by the way, there will be people who will say absolutely everybody should have to do that, and there will be other people that say I'm absolutely not doing it because there are aborted fetus cells in this vaccine. I'm not taking it. And for that and for other reasons, because we don't know the long-term outcome. So people would argue back and forth. My point is, can pressure be put on you enough to make you bow? Let me give you another very practical and perhaps a very real scenario that may come our way one day. What if your job or your employer said that in line with uh, the, the revolution that's going on today of no quote, discrimination, or no, I'm trying to be nice here. Uh, We want people to be tolerant that you must sign a waiver that says that you support the LGBTQ community. You endorse it and you support it. And if you don't, therefore you are a person of hate and you may not be employed here. Now, you may think that that sounds radical, and it is radical. Could that happen? I don't know. Don't ask me that question. I'm giving you a scenario. I'm, I'm saying, what would you do? Now, since I turned the rock over, uh, let me address that for just a moment. Please hear me for a second, folks. As Christians, we do not hate LGBTQ people. Please, please hear me. And anybody that wants to take a snippet can take it right here because here's the bottom line. They are sinners just like you and I. However, they have chosen a lifestyle that according to the word of God, not according to me, this is not about me and not about you, not about Washington, D.C., the town of Christiansburg or anybody else. According to God's word, he made man male and female in the beginning And that was God's original plan for creation. God gave laws to the nation of Israel that anybody violated that law, man on man, woman on woman, man on animal, go on down the line, that in the nation of Israel there would be punishments. When they moved outside the nation of Israel, those laws were not upon the Babylonians and the Egyptians and other people. When the Israelites spread to those other nations, they had already had some laws, but the Israelite people went there and they spread their faith and convictions. Now hear me for a moment. The more secular our world becomes, the more radical the moral revolution becomes. And what you and I are witnessing here in America is the destruction of God's word and God's law that was one of the bedrocks of our society. And by and large, since 20 to 20 years plus, it has been suppressed and now ejected from schools, from universities, and from everywhere. And hear me carefully, it is not even considered as a source of information on morality. 
Did you hear me? Your employer, your school, your kids' schools, your kids' college doesn't even consider the Bible as even a source of information to guide their thinking in the issue of morality. It is just not there. So as Christians, we are now living in a secular society. That means absent of God. We're we're living in a society that is absent of God, and we now become a lone voice. And sometime or another, you and I may be asked or forced or put in a situation where we either have to stand or we have to bow. You may have to stand alone. Or, folks, it may cost you. Now, what are you going to do when life hits you like that? And, by the way, don't think that it won't. It can, and more than likely, if our culture goes the way it goes, it will. If not for us, for our children. And if not for our children, definitely for our grandchildren. Now, whoever the mother of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was did a great job because those three boys and Daniel were taken from their homeland and hundreds of miles away, transported to a land, and they were probably in their early teen years, 12 to 14 years of age. A couple of years pass, uh, they're asked to, to give in to the king's way of life. They refuse in chapter 1. They're promoted, and now we come to chapter 3. And now we run into this figure, this man named Nebuchadnezzar, who's going to set up an image of himself. Look in chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So 90 feet tall by 9 feet wide. Now, I tried to measure that this morning. Roughly, don't hold me to this. It's from the back wall of the church up here to this wall. That's how big the image was. And he made it of pure gold or of gold. Maybe it was overlain gold. Wood with gold smelted over it. And some may ask, well, why did he make it a gold image? Well, do you remember back in chapter 2 when Daniel told him, King Nebuchadnezzar, the dream you saw, you were the head of gold. Why did he make the whole image now of gold? Well, As is true of narcissistic people, Nebuchadnezzar was trying to overtake God's plan for the nations of the world. And so it appears that what Nebuchadnezzar did was say, well, God, I didn't like your dream. You just made my kingdom the head of gold, but I'm going to set up a statue and I'm going to make the entire thing gold and Babylon will rule forever. And so he sets it up and he's saying, you know, I at least think this and These my gods are going to make this happen, and everybody else is going to as well. So what happens? He is going to put the test on God's people. Warren Wiersbe said that a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. If your Christian faith and the the faith of your children can't be tested, it can't be trusted. You know, sometimes we're afraid to send our kids out into the world because we're afraid that their faith might go the other way. I get that. I mean, unbelievably uh, so, I actually had to live through that. You know, my kids wanted to go to work at places. One of them wanted to go to work at a place as a garage. Really rough. 
All the people there are lost as they can be. Lie, cheat, steal, cuss, curse, mean. And now your kid's growing up. He's going to be a man and wants to go get a job at something like that. And What do you do? Because you know what's going to happen. And then, you know, he goes there. They pick on him. You know, he has to learn the ways of the world and so forth. And you as a parent have to sit back and go, Oh, God, please don't let him turn out like those people. Please give him conviction in his life. And a lot of times you just have to sit back and pray, don't you? Because, you know, when your kids become grown-ups, you've got to let them go. You can't hold them in the bib and keep the binky in their mouth when they're 25 years old. And a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. And one of the reasons that kids go off to college today and they go into a classroom and a professor with a Ph.D. stands up and pulls out two or three things in Scripture the first day of class and takes a sledgehammer and shatters their Christian faith is because the only thing they know about the God of the Bible is what they've heard preached in the pulpit on Sunday morning while they were on Instagram. And they never had to stand for their faith. And when that professor shows what appears to be a contradiction in the Scripture two or three times, the poor Christian child's faith is shattered and thrown out the window. Now, you all, you all may or may not believe this, but when I was in my first college class, I was in sociology. There was a professor there from Harvard. He did exactly what I just told you. He didn't like being at a local state college because he was a Harvard professor with a Ph.D. in sociology, and I believe he felt like, looking back on it now, he was, he was degraded to have to go teach at a state university. And he, was, he was an angry man. And when he stood up in class, one of the first things, there will be an over-religion, there will be, and the Bible says not He gives two or three instances in the Scripture where, where there were apparent, apparent contradictions, and the whole class was grumbling. Now, by the way, let me just say this. I was no place in my life to answer this man. Because he said, anybody have an answer? Nobody had an answer. Everybody was intimidated and afraid of him. And he said, okay, now let's just put that out of the way and let's go on. No clue. How do you answer a man like What do you say? Okay. And this was the circumstance. And it happens all the time. You know, it really does make you as parents start praying for your kids and grandparents praying for your grandkids because they're going to be tested, folks. But listen to me. A faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. And false faith withers in times of trial, but true faith does what? It makes it dig deeper. And when life is challenging to us and we can't explain it and we wonder where God is and why God's allowed this to happen, weak faith or false faith runs the other way. But true faith says, God, I don't know why in the world you're letting this happen, but I'm going to find out why. God, are you worthy to be trusted when things don't go my way? Wearsby says, yes. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, Yes. What about the Christian life? Are we supposed to have it easy and made? Are we supposed to have every challenge in life answered? Is God supposed to come through like the final shot of the winning team? 
Hey, Tech won last night. I won't say anything about the other Virginia team. Uh, I'm sorry, Chris. I won't say another word. But that was quite a pullout. What about our faith? What about our Christian faith? Peter says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. When? When? At the coming of Jesus Christ. That means that you may not have an answer to your problems in life until Christ himself returns. Now let me ask you a question as a Christian. Are you prepared to live through rejection, sickness, suffering, heartache, anguish, pain, misunderstand, being misunderstood by people? Are you willing to live through that until Christ himself returns if he doesn't answer your life situation? You know, we, we are microwave Christians today. Did you all hear me? Gadgets and things that we have in life have trained us to be microwave Christians. I send a text, I expect immediate answer. I send an email, I expect an immediate answer. I get online, I, I do this, I put my popcorn in the microwave, two minutes I'm ready to be eaten. If I had to go gather the wood, build a campfire, go grab fat from the hog, put it in the pan... Uh, go dig up the popcorn kernels, let them dry out, eat. I mean, can you imagine? We're used to everything now. Let me tell you something about Christian discipleship that people don't tell you. God doesn't work that way. And, and the God of heaven is not the God who runs to the need of every believer and says, oh, let me help you in case you don't think I'm here or you don't think I'm going to come through for you. And what we've done is built a very shallow Christianity that thinks that if God doesn't step in in every situation, then God is either not there or He doesn't care. But I'm going to tell you what the majority of Scripture teaches. The majority of Scripture teaches that God stands by us most of the time silently, strengthening us within to allow us to endure trials, hardships, and misunderstandings. And he never says a word. So one of the dangers of reading a Daniel chapter 3 passage is we think that God is going to save us every time trials come to life. That is not the case. And strong faith puts trust in God even when things don't go our way. Even when God doesn't answer when we think he should answer or the way we think he should answer. And God is not always looking for our life to have all of its problems answered. God is looking for us to have enough faith in him to believe that if things don't go our way, God hasn't changed a bit. He is faithful. He is faithful. And he is faithful. Now, let's look at verses 1 through 12 as we think about our life as Christians being challenged by the world in which we live. Nebuchadnezzar sets up a 90-foot by 9-foot wide image of himself. And then verses 2, I'm going to read this the first time, and I won't read the rest of the repetition. But verse 2 says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, 
and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the hornpipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the people, look at this, all the peoples, remember Babylon had all these nations, all the peoples, all the nations, and all the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. The majority of the people complied. Now, how does a government, by the way, come into a people and demand that they do what they want? Well, we see here in verse 5, they create laws, laws that are against conviction. What is the law? When you hear the sound of the horn, you will bow down and worship. In other words, you will worship what we demand you worship. And the second thing they do is punishment. If you don't do what we tell you and embrace what we tell you, we will punish you. Look in verse 6. Whoever doesn't fall down and worship will be cast into the fiery furnace. So laws and punishment. And if you don't do them, this will happen to you. Look in verse 11 because here we're going to get our modern day word intolerance. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a fiery furnace. Laws, punishment, and intolerance. That's what we have going on here. So what's going to happen here by our faith being challenged? Well, if we look in verse 8, verse 8, Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound, I'm going to skip down to verse 11, uh, shall fall down and worship the golden image, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. They are in government positions. You put them there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now the question becomes, will Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be like Daniel was in chapter 1 and 2? Will they? Have they changed? Has, you know, has age set in on their Christianity and they've kind of just sat back and went, well, you know, things... Don't get worked up about things as much as I used to. 
uh, whatever, the world's doing it, culture's doing it, nobody cares, you know, so just, just, just go on and forget. Now, or would they say what? Now, why did these men not bow? Look in verse 13. Nebuchadnezzar was furious. They did not bow. Why did they not bow? Well, Exodus chapter 20, God gave the Jews a very clear commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water or under the sea. God did not want an image made of him. By the way, in the ancient East, you know, they used to make these images and they would uh, uh, make it to where their God would be riding on top of something. You remember back at Mount Sinai, the Egyptians made, or the Israelites made what? The golden calf. It was a male calf, okay? You have to be on a farm to get the picture here, fertility, so forth, bull calf. And they pictured that the God of Israel would be riding on top of that calf. They didn't think God was a bull, but they pictured that as God's chariot. What was God's chariot in ancient Israel? It was the ark. The Ark of the Covenant was God's footstool. When you read Psalms, you'll see that. And God wanted no image, no beast, nothing in the stellar heavens, no gods that they could come up with their mind. And He certainly didn't want a bull. And God was furious. And perhaps Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego paid attention in Sunday school. When God came down to Moses and said, Kill every one of them. Now, in modern day America, we would go, oh, my word, in the morning, what an intolerant God. How dare he go against the uh, opinions of those people if they wanted to do that? Nope, you got that all wrong. Stop for a minute. Into a marriage covenant with God on Sinai to become his bride, he would become their king, and they had agreed to follow his commandments. And one of God's commandments for his people is you will have no gods before me and you will not make an image to represent me because I am a jealous God. And somehow or another in the, the mix of life, we have thought to ourselves that somehow or another God has changed and he's not jealous for his Christian people like he was ancient Israel. Well, I've got news for you, folks. He hasn't changed a bit. Let me answer this question. Where was our Savior, Jesus Christ? Right there. As a matter of fact, if you read that story in Exodus, when, Jesus, when Moses went up there, he saw someone sitting on a throne. Do you remember this? Anybody remember this? Better go back and read Exodus. Anytime that you see a figure in the Old Testament that has the form of a man, you can bet your bottom dollar if it has deity on it it was christ himself because god the father has never taken on the form of an image maybe a maybe a flame maybe a theophany but god never takes on the image of a man this is why god did not want that and so now god is ingrained in the heart and the mind of shadrach meshach and abednego and they won't bow now, what do you do with somebody like that? Have you all ever had a strong-willed child? I, I have to watch. Josh, my clicker's not going. A, a strong-willed child is something else because as a parent, you know, you're trying to deal with this child, 
And they are sitting there in absolute stubbornness and defiance. And you're thinking to yourself, I'm bigger than you. I'm the parent. And you are going to do what I say. And, you know, a lot of parents today are doing what? Well, okay, honey, if you want to be the parent, I'll let you be the parent. Now, you run the house how you want to. You're training us well. You know, we live in a culture that says, you know, that the kid is the God. Excuse me here for a moment. The kid is God and mom and dad are to bow to the kid and bow to everybody else that tells you how to raise your kids. But I want to tell you something. You're still the parent this morning. And if you're listening online, you are responsible to train your child to obey. It may take on many different forms. I'm not even getting into that. But you are responsible as the parent to be the parent. And you are responsible as the parent to instill the fear of God in your child's heart. And if you don't, if you don't put the fear of God in your child's heart some way, and I'm not talking about now making them quake, but if you don't teach them that there's someone a whole lot higher than they are and that they have to bow their heart to, they may may never see their need of salvation. That's how important this is. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we will not bow. We will not bow. So what does this mean? Well, your faith sometimes will make you stand alone. Verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar was furious. He commanded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is this true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not an image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, and all these musical instruments, you are to fall down and worship the image that I have made. Can you all see the picture? The king's on his throne, gathers the three, everybody's standing around them. He's pointing to the image, and he says, I'm going to give you one more chance. Remember, I promoted you and put you in Congress. You're going to bow. Play the music. And they played the music. And all three of those Jewish boys, teenage boys, stood there like Marines who were ready to die on the seashore. If you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Now, can you imagine? You don't bow, you're going to burn. And where is your God? I'm sure Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were going, Where are you at, God? We don't see you. Where are you? But we know you're here. And so they now are waiting, and God hasn't intervened yet. Notice what happens. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God who we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... If not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. We won't do it. I want to tell you something. The king was beside himself, furious that these young teenage boys had enough conviction to realize 
there was a God in heaven who was a whole lot bigger than a 90-foot statue of a king who had the power to take their life. So what did they do? Warren Wearsby says, Faith means, means obeying God regardless of the feelings within us, the circumstances around us, or the consequences before us. That's quote worthy, folks. That is quote worthy. Faith means obeying God regardless of the feelings within. Oh, what am I going to do? I, th- I think I should waver. The circumstances around. If I don't do this, it's going to happen. And it's going to. Or the consequences before us. Faith means obeying God. Faith doesn't mean I, I can name the 66 books. I can give you the major theme and the outline. I can quote 45 chapters of this book and that book and this one. <clears throat> That's not faith. That's knowledge. Faith's obeying what you know. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not have to sit around and question. Would God be okay with this if? I mean, just think, if they kill us, we won't have a testimony here in Babylon. I mean, we won't be able to go to school and share our faith. And want, you know. Nope, we're not going to do it. Okay, your faith, make your stand. Rodney Stort says, Biblical faith has the assurance to say, I know my God is able to deliver me. It has the confidence to say, I believe that my God will deliver me. But it also has the submission to say, even if he does not, I will still trust him. You all see that? that? I could leave that quote up there. That is a life changer. This is, this is what being a mature Christian means. Are you, are you hearing me for a minute? It's not all this Bible knowledge and all this stuff that we have. That is important. But mature Christian faith is that last line. Even if God does not do what I expect Him to do or what I claim from this passage that He will do, even if He doesn't do it, I will still trust Him though I can't see Him, hear Him, or feel Him. That's faith, folks. That's mature Christian faith. Look at the third thing. Your faith may be used by God to convict your opponent. Not always, but in this case... It definitely was. Verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, in their tunics, their hats, their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. You see the point? He didn't even prepare them for burning. He was so furious and mad, he said, wind them up in their Carhartt pants, their bibs, their toboggan, everything. That Wind them from head to toe and sling them in. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. Can you all even imagine that, what that would be like? You ever put yourself in the biblical character's position? I have an outside stove. 
I'd hate to be bound into the box of my outside stove. The other day I didn't do something right, and when I opened the, opened the door, I didn't open one chamber, and the smoke came out, and, you know, smoke is ignitable. And when that big pillar of smoke came out, it went whoosh, and came back, and this has happened several times to me, but I went, sent, got all the hair on my hands, got my eyebrows right there, got some of my hair. You know, I was getting ready to preach Daniel 3. And I went, you know what God's telling me? Open that other draft before you open that door. <laughs> it singed me. And, you know, it's just a brief. Can you imagine being lowered down in the flames, thrown in on top of a hot fire like that? Imagine a big vase with the bottom open and a top. That's how they used to smelt things. And they would throw them in that top hole and the king could see down in the bottom part. And so the king's down there watching that hole going, I'll tell you what, you'll bow to me. So he gets down on the bottom and he's watching it. Verse 24, then Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. Because by the way, he's looking in that hole to watch when they get dropped in. He was astonished. And he even rose up in haste. The king got off his throne. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound. The appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. You know, Nebuchadnezzar now is overwhelmed. He doesn't know what to do. And so he's taken aback. You know, this is not the first time we saw Nebuchadnezzar's rage. There's a proverb that says, better is a patient man than a warrior and a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. Nebuchadnezzar was a very angry man. He conquered many cities and many peoples, but he couldn't conquer himself. You know what? The true meaning of power is the ability to control yourself. You can control everybody else. You can even control your kids, but you can't control yourself. Nebuchadnezzar had this great issue in his life. But you know, here's the important point. Even when we face people like that in life, when we go through problems and persecutions and trials in life, the greatest thing is to realize that God is not just there for us. Instead, God is right there with us. Whether that's cancer, whether that's loss, whether that's suffering, sickness, punishment, demoting, being fired, Whatever that is when you take a stand for God. Even if God doesn't quote unquote deliver you, God is there with you even if you can't see Him and hear Him and feel Him. The silent presence of God. You know, when these men give this bold declaration that our God is able, God is able. Listen to what Scripture says about the ability of God, the power of God to intervene. God is able to make all grace abound to you. You need some grace this morning? You know God says, 
All you have to do is ask. God is able to make all grace abound to you. Jude chapter 24, you feel rotten today. You feel unworthy. You feel like you're such a bad person. There's no way God could ever let you into His presence because of who you are and what you've done and how you think and how you act. Listen to what Jude writes, the half-brother of our Lord. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. He's not just going to present you blameless, but He's going to do it with great joy. Almighty God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and His death on the cross enables Almighty God to pronounce us blameless. And Christ Himself is going to take us before God the Father. Can you all see this picture? He's going to present us before His Father blameless. And He's going to do it with great joy. I don't know about you this morning, but you sit there and I stand here blameworthy. And the more I look at my life, and the more I see God, the more blameworthy I am. I don't know. Just maybe it's getting older. Sometimes I feel awful about myself, my attitudes, things I think things that go on in life, things that I want to see happen to people. Sometimes I feel terrible about that. Aren't y'all glad you're not that way? But even though I am that way, one day Almighty God is going to present me blameless and do it with joy, not because of me, but because of His sacrifice on the cross and the power of God to take that away. What a Savior. God is able Romans 16, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to the gospel. You know what the gospel does, what I just shared with you about Jude? You know what that does to your Christian life? It's like going in a gym and pumping weight. God is able to do that. And God is able to strengthen you when you hear the gospel preached. And do you know what? Church is an essential thing. It's essential for Christians, isn't it? We've got to hear the gospel preached because if we don't, what happens to our faith? It gets weak. We need to hear the gospel of the grace of God in our life. And God is able to strengthen us when we hear that wonderful message. In Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power that is work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and amen. God is able. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that. God is able. But look at the final thing that faith may happen to us in times of trouble. Your unwavering faith will always, listen to me, always result in glory to God. When you don't compromise your Christian convictions, it brings glory to God. Verse 26, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, 
And he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. His temper had changed, hadn't it? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors, gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. You know, I started to just preach a sermon and come out this morning. God is able. I saw the missionary on here. God is able. God is able. I bet he could preach. But I want you to see here, Nebuchadnezzar, back over in verse 15, says, Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Now in this verse, Verse 29, now I know there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. The God of the Bible is able. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Wiersbe writes again, true faith isn't frightened by threats, impressed by crowds, or swayed by superstitious ceremonies. True faith obeys the Lord and trusts Him to work out the consequences. Is that our faith this morning? What if God didn't deliver them? Do you think the story would be in the Bible? I don't know. But in this case, He did. Wiersbe writes, No matter how despotic the world's rulers become or how hot they stoke the furnace, God will be with His people in the furnace and will ultimately defeat their enemies and establish His kingdom. Philip Yancey wrote a book. And in the book, he told a story of Brian Sternberg. He was a nationally acclaimed track star and he held several records in a pole vault competition. In 1963... When Brian was 19 years old, he held unbelievable success. He made sports headlines every week. He remained undefeated in outdoor competition, and he set the first world record. Excitement and thrills embellished the spring and the summer for his family. Then three weeks after Brian had set his last world record, everything changed in a moment. On July 2nd, 1963, while working out on the trampoline in preparation for the U.S. track team's tour in Russia, Brian flipped and landed on his neck. There was a loud crack, then all the feeling and the movement were gone from his arms and his legs in an instant. Brian Sternberg was a 19-year-old devoted Christian 
and his faith was put to the test. He faced a crisis that threatened to leave him a quadriplegic for the rest of his life, confined to a wheelchair and dependent upon others. Brian had faith that God could and would heal him in his paralysis. Now, years later, he is still paralyzed. But the story in between is instructive for the Christian life. What happened to Brian? Did his faith fail? Did he not have enough faith? Did God make a mistake? Did God forsake his child? Less than a year after the accident, Brian was asked to write an article for Look Magazine. He ended with these powerful words that describe a biblical view of faith. Having faith is a necessary step toward one of two things. Being healed is one of them. Peace of mind, if the healing does not come, is the other. Either will suffice. Now, if I wanted to leave you on an emotional feeling, I'd leave you right there. But that wouldn't be fair because that's not the rest of the story. Philip Yancey went to visit Brian ten years after he wrote those powerful words. Things had changed and been convinced by well-meaning Christians that since God loved him, they had talked him into believing that God would make him walk again. They convinced him that if he would just have enough faith, he could stand up and walk away from his wheelchair. In Brian's mind, faith now meant that there remained not two options for God, only one. And that was complete healing. And Brian's view was only complete healing would suffice, so he was putting his faith in his faith. Did you all hear that? He's putting his faith in the strength of his own faith. Some were amazed at the great faith of this young man who still said God would heal him. Others said that he lacked faith because he would have already been healed if God were going to do it. Yet the fact remained that when Philip Yancey left the house of Brian Sternberg, he sensed the mood of a, quote, uncompleted, uncomfortable struggle mixed with tough, undying faith. As Brian struggled to find enough human faith, he forgot that God is sovereign and he lost his peace of mind. God may not jump in the midst of our fiery furnace. And true Christian faith believes God whether he's there to deliver or whether he doesn't. I told the first session this morning that about 35 miles from this pulpit is a little widow woman, 90 plus years old, whose house is down beside Stony Creek. The smell of oil furnace and her house dog and all of her caretakers and the medical care Feel the air when you go in the house. Almighty God used that little woman to pray for this hardened guy to totally change my life. And when I went to tell that little woman plans that God had for my life, she was bold enough to take her little finger and put it right up in my nose and tell me, shame on you.
Shame on you. You know better than that. To sell yourself out to the call of God for a measly few dollars? I'll be praying against you. She did, and it didn't take long. Quit my job and went in ministry, and this woman prayed for me all the way throughout school. She prayed for me all the way throughout my ministry. Her husband had died, lost most of everything that she had in her family. This morning, if you went down to her place, you'd see a little withered up, less than 70-pound woman laying over in a corner who doesn't even know she's alive in this world. But I want to remind you of the words of the Apostle Paul. Sown in weakness, raised in glory and honor. And one day, that little woman who has lived as a widow for 20 plus years and left everything she had, went to her deathbed, even losing her mind, full faith and confidence in her God, and God hasn't wasted one hour of her life. And the challenge this morning is for us to be like the Norwegians, Shadrach, Meshachs, and Abednego's. God help us do that. Father, thank you this morning for your word and the challenge of this passage, and we pray your blessings on each one here. Lord, whatever trial, whatever problem, whatever we have in life, help us help us look to you. Help us trust you, Lord, even when things don't go our way. And may we be faithful in spite of Feelings, the circumstances, or the consequences. Knowing that you are right there with us to help us through. In Jesus' name we pray.